0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos, and today's episode is presented by BetOnline.ag. And our partners at BetOnline, they continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. And you can find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds in the NBA and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, all the latest fights, and even next season's NFL futures at BetOnline. Your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. So, what are you waiting for? It's super easy to get started. Head to the website, use your mobile device to Today to use our promo code BLEAV, BLEAV to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That is at BetOnline, where the game starts. Today's episode is also presented by Baseball Lifestyle 101. If you head to their website right now, bl101.com, you will get 10% off if you use the promo code Joey Guys So get your baseball summer sports apparel at bl101.com. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming into the pod. I have a returning guest here with me right now. He is a Believe partner. He's a... He's in the Believe tent, if you will. He hosts Believe in Bulls. We're going to talk a little baseball and definitely some
1: basketball today. It's Nick Schultz. What's up, Nick? Joey, great to be back, man. There's a lot to talk about there with baseball for sure. And NBA Finals, I'm really excited for the series. This is going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, the NBA Finals, it's about to go for almost a month. Uh, it's uh, We'll see how Been long great. the series goes. Yeah, we're going to preview that a little bit later. Uh, let's just get some news and notes. I mean, it's June 2nd. Uh, It's baseball season. Both teams right now. I mean, honestly, I don't think the Cubs had high expectations. But let's start with the White Sox team that is clearly going in the wrong direction right now. As of this taping, they have not uh, begun their 12 o'clock or I'm sorry, the two o'clock central time game against the Toronto Blue Jays with Johnny Cueto on the mound. So right now they're sitting at 23 and 25. We'll see what happens today. But let's just start here. There's a lot of problems. But put your finger on the pulse of what you think the biggest
1: problem is with the White Sox right now. Probably the defense, to be honest with you. I'm a big advocate of, what was it, the movie was the final season. You ever seen the final season with Powers Boo, Sean Astin, about the team in Iowa, the high school baseball team? There's a line that Powers Boo's character uses. It's 85% of the game is defense, and I'm a big fan of that. And the defensive mistakes by the White Sox, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I haven't watched as much baseball as I'd like to, just we've been absolutely crazy, with the college football offseason has been kind of nuts so i've watched in and out but what i have seen what i followed yikes it has not been good now yasmani grandal made a really nice play the other night which was good but there's still some defensive lapses that i'm not liking a lot and i think that's the biggest starting point and also base running what happened the other night with what was it was it reese mcguire that was on third base and the sack fly and he was watching the ball instead of running home, and there shouldn't have been a play at second. I don't know why he went to second, and that was just a total mess. So I think a combination of defense and base running, but, man, June 2nd and they're two games under five hundred. not at all how I thought this season to go. Yep. Aren't they still the heavy favorites to win the AL Central? Did I they see still, that somewhere? They're still, they're
0: still minus. I believe they're minus uh, probably 125, and I think the Minnesota Twins are plus 125. Correct.
1: Doesn't that speak to how the division is this year too, the fact that the White Sox are playing – I'll say not great right now. I know White Sox Twitter has been total the world is ending kind of mode. And I can understand it given the expectations around this team. But that speaks to the division. I'm not sure how this is all going to shake out. I mean, we're getting past the point where we quit saying it's early. It's early. It's June now. As crazy as it sounds, it's June already. Things got to start coming together. Otherwise, I don't know what's going to happen. And I, don't, I can't really pinpoint it to one thing. I mean, could you blame Tony Larusa? I don't know what he's doing with the lineup sometimes, but it's defense and that could come down to coaching. It could also just come down to mentality. There's a lot of factors there, but defense and base running to me are the biggest things.
0: Base running, uh, base running wise, uh, Joe McEwing's had a bad couple of weeks too, as well. Right. He's had a couple of sends that have not worked out, especially the Osmani grandal one, which I think was about a week ago. That wasn't great. And look, uh, you know, I'm right there with you. It's funny that at the beginning of the season, I kind of made this comment of, like, when you have a rotation, that eventually we'll have Lance Lynn, but a rotation of Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech and Lucas Gilito, you're striking out a lot of guys. And it can probably maybe cover up, maybe put a little too much makeup over the fact that your team's bad defensively because once the ball's in play, you know, I'm not saying it's Dallas Keuchel's. It wasn't defense that doomed Dallas Keuchel, but it certainly didn't help him out, right? So if it's a contact-oriented pitcher on the mound, it's going to, be a little difficult for them. Um, let me follow it up with you like this. And this is something that I think is, I'm not overly serious about it, but I am starting to think about this. I'm just kind of looking at the construction of this roster with the White Sox defensively specifically. And I'm just starting to ask my questions of how sustainable is it where you mentioned Yasmani Grandal, Look, I don't know if he's a starting catcher anymore, right? They've been using him a lot in the DH position. So, all of a sudden now you're kind of losing that spot a little bit. If Aloy Jimenez comes back, you're going to probably be using him in the DH spot a little bit too as well. He's not so great in left field. Jose Abreu, very solid first baseman in my opinion, but is getting a little bit older. And then you have guys in right field like Andrew Vaughn, who's never really played the position before. I know Yama Mankata can't stay in the field. He's a pretty solid third baseman. And then, dude, like in my big opinion, I want to get your take on this. Do you think Tim Anderson is a World Series shortstop? And I love Tim Anderson. Defensively, is he a world – is he the shortstop on a World Series team?
1: I think he is, and I think it just comes down to the fact that there's a lot of pressure on this team right now with 23 and 25. Tim Anderson is the leader of this team. He's the face of the franchise, and rightfully so. I think he's earned that. I remember thinking a couple of years ago, I remember thinking, okay, is he the guy at shortstop? Well, he proved me wrong by you know winning the batting title and everything like that. But defensively, is there stuff to work on? Yes, but I still think Tim Anderson is the type of guy you can build around. I think he's great in the clubhouse just from a leadership standpoint. You need that. But on the field, you just got to cut down on the mental lapses. And, again, I think that goes back to coaching in a way, too, just getting – you've got to get – I don't want to say in the right headspace because I don't want to question if he's in the right headspace or not, but that's kind of the wording that I can think of off the top of my head. Some of these defensive mistakes can be prevented – it's just a matter of, I don't know if it's reps. I don't know if it's maybe taking a break and clearing your head. I don't know what, but I I think Tim Anderson is a World Series shortstop, and the comparisons get made to Javi Baez and everything like that. And I know Javi's not in Chicago anymore, but it was always the big debate. Javi Baez or Tim Anderson, if I had to choose. Defensively, I'm taking Tim Anderson. He's had some mistakes, but I think he's done more good than bad to say he is a world series shortstop, especially on this White Sox team, which should be world series or bust in my opinion.
0: Offensively, I, I think the world of Tim Anderson, I, I think the oh, sky's sure. the limit. I think he can win like an MVP. I mean, he's hitting 356 when he went onto the, to the injured list now. So we'll see when he comes back, what type of shape he's in. Yeah. I'm just kind of asking those questions. Cause you just look back and you sort of look at past teams that have won world series. And you always kind of look at that shortstop position. And keep in mind with that, you know, the Javier Baez conversation, it was Addison Russell at shortstop, right? When they won the World Series in 2016. And then you see him go down with the groin. And I don't know, I just kind of ask myself that question a little bit. You know, does it keep the White Sox out of a possible Carlos Correa situation at the end of the season? Because Tim Anderson's at shortstop when, let's be honest, he would be an elite second baseman and you'd bring someone to play shortstop. I don't know. I just, I asked myself that question because the mix isn't great. You know what I mean? Nick, like outside of Luis Robert at center field, and let's maybe say Moncada at third base defensively around the diamond for the White Sox. It's a problem. And it makes me sort of think if this season doesn't get turned around, we might see some change on the South side earlier than we might have anticipated.
1: Well, and I think a lot of things are getting amplified just because the expectations were so high this year after last year, and the fact that they're under 500, there are a lot of things that are going to get amplified. And I think T.A. has made, especially lately, some mistakes on defense that have come back and bit the White Sox. Now, again, he's on the injured list. We don't. I don't know how he's going to come back from this. I don't know the severity of it or anything. Tony didn't exactly sound reassuring about mm-hmm. that when he said he's definitely going on the I.L., but... I think that's just part of where the White Sox are at right now. You've got to look at the expectations and you have to look at, okay, the expectations were here. They're clearly not meeting expectations so far. Where is the problem? And there are a lot of little problems, but as we know, a lot of little problems can spiral into one big problem. So that's kind of my take on where they're at right now. You know, June 2nd at 1 in the afternoon central time. There's a lot of things that can change. We saw what happened with the Atlanta Braves last year. Who knows, maybe they can turn this thing around. Lance Lynn gets back in the rotation. Eloy Jimenez gets back in the lineup. There are a lot of things that can happen. But right now, there's just going to be a lot of questions that might need to be a wait-and-see type of answer for another couple of weeks. And it's gets really
0: difficult, and it's probably a huge reason why the White Sox are under 500. is if you're not scoring runs, and they aren't, because they're averaging 3.6 a game, which I think is 27th in Major League Baseball right, near, right now, a year after scoring, I think, 4.6, 4.7, which had them, I don't know the number I, easily in the top five, if you're not playing great defense, all of a sudden now, everything kind of gets exacerbated, right? Like it's it's it mm-hmm. highlighted. It gets, you know, and I, I'm just kind of curious what your take is on this offense moving forward because it, it, that th- this, this part of it has surprised me the most. I and mean, we can talk a lot about injuries, but on a day-to-day basis, and you mentioned the lineups a little bit, the white Sox lineup just feels short right like mm-hmm. i mean they got a one through five and then six through nine is just it's just brutal right now it really has surprised me how they've really really struggled
1: to score runs well let's look at it when healthy when healthy this lineup to me should not be scoring three runs a game i mean let, let's think of the names jimenez robert i'm a big gavin sheets fan i think i still think grandal is the great god of walks now he's a good hitter moncada anderson abreu this lineup Is loaded now. I know Jimenez is out, Anderson's out now, but I think you still got some pieces. Andrew Vaughn, I think Reese McGuire is still a very good piece in this lineup. Josh Harrison, I mean, I think he's a good contact guy when you need him, but you got to—he's got to get on base. And there's—it goes back to the health, but you can't just blame injuries because everybody deals with injuries. You cannot just blame injuries for the fact, oh, the White Sox are—they're struggling. They're averaging three and a half runs a game, and. You have to say it as, okay, when healthy, this lineup can do great things. You've got to maximize that potential. It's a matter of getting that potential out of them, and I'm not sure how they can do that. Yeah, and it's –
0: unfortunately, it, it reminds me a little bit of – we're going to move over to the Cubs in a second. It just reminds me a little bit of what happened to the Cubs at times where we the Cubs right. fans really want to blame the Cubby core of not being able to deliver and produce, but all the supplemental pieces around them – the Cubs either didn't bring them in. You know what I mean? The Daniel Descalsos of the world just didn't work out. And that's kind of what's happening to the White Sox right now, right, where they've had injuries to some of their core guys. And the supplemental players who were supposed to kind of come in and prop up that lineup a little bit, the, the A.J. Pollux, who did hit a home run yesterday, I still think he's a veteran. If he's healthy, I still think he's going to A.J. Pollock's a 300-hitter,
1: Whether it, whatever, whatever he's doing this year, a 300-hitter is in there somewhere. Right, it's exactly. A change of scenery, but it goes back to getting that potential out. Right. But the Josh
0: Harrison thing completely hasn't worked out. Right. I mean, and that was something we talked a lot about. Is it second base? Is it right field for the White Sox all offseason long? Second base is a huge problem for them. So let's wrap up our White Sox conversation on this note Uh, as it stands right now with the White Sox being 23 and 25, five games behind the Minnesota Twins. Who is more important to this White Sox team right now? The return of Lance Lynn or the return of Aloy Jimenez?
1: That's a good question. I think you can make a case for both because Lynn was so important last year. I mean, he was in the Cy Young conversation last year. I think having him in the rotation is going to be a huge boost. But the rotation, like you said, has already been strong. Getting Jimenez back, the offense is going to be great. But I go back to it. What do we think about his defense? To me, I'm not sold on his defense. I mean, that's just where I'm at. I don't want to compare him to Kyle Schwarber necessarily because I think that's an apples and oranges type of comparison like people say, oh, Eloy Jimenez is Kyle Schwarber all over again. Well, maybe not really. I mean Kyle Schwarber's a converted catcher for crying out loud. Eloy Jimenez is he's a good hitter, he's just gotta work on the defensive part of it. So there I think if I had to choose from that standpoint, I think Lynn makes the bigger impact just because we know what he can do on the mound. With Jimenez, you know what you get at the plate. What are you getting on defense so i got i'm gonna to pick lance lynn just if i'm picking between the two i still think both of them are going to be really big boosts as they try and break out of this little funk they're in
0: yeah i'd love to counter and debate with you but i think you're probably right the reason why i brought up those two guys is both of those guys can bring an element of swagger back to the unit that i think desperately is needed right and i think maybe lance lynn i'm not saying the pitching staff the starting rotation has been awful this year i mean uh, the Kopech start aside yesterday, he's been super solid. Cease has had some great performances. And Giolito, you know, whether even if Giolito doesn't have his best stuff, he still kind of guts it out. But Lance Lynn just kind of brings that swagger back a little bit. And if this team is going to struggle to score runs, especially while they wait for some guys to come back and get healthy, I think a guy like Lance Lynn coming into that rotation perhaps can kind of help turn that wheel and get some really strong starting pitching going. And maybe we can win some three to one games, right? Instead of losing four to three all the time. I'm with you on a too, because we do need some power. We do need a little bit more swag in that lineup. But again, I think we're just waiting on hopefully, you know, keeping our head above water, right. And waiting for Tim Anderson to come back offensively. It's probably where I land on that.
1: Exactly. I know we want to move on to other stuff, but I think Lynn brings more of a toughness than a swagger. I think he brings that toughness, that mm-hmm. mentality of I'm going to strike. The, what's the line from Boulder? I'm going to strike this MF or out. Like that's kind of his mentality. He brings Aloy is just He's the big kid in the clubhouse. I got to, I actually got to get, uh, I got to get credentialed for a game when I interned at NBC sports, Chicago, my senior year of college. And I walked around the clubhouse and Aloy is just a big kid. He walks around, he's cracking jokes. He's throwing, Throwing a little soft, what was it like a little soft baseball or something around the clubhouse and picking on the guys like Lance Lynn to me, he brings that. Uh, we hear it with Zach Levine when we start transitioning to basketball, the dog mentality of I'm going to strike him out, I'm not going to hold back. If we suck, I'm going to say we suck. We're we're better than this. Blah 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 blah. And also, I'm going to prove it on the mound to you too. So there's different mentalities that they bring.
0: But you're you're hitting on such a, an important thing of those two dynamics because I think that's something this White Sox team is lacking. Like it's lacking balance. It's lacking a toughness, right? Where when things get down a little bit, how do you come back and win a game like today against the Blue Jays? We'll see what happens. But they really need to win that game before they play the Rays and the Dodgers, right? That's a toughness aspect. And I just from a fan's perspective, watching the games, it does not look like this team is having very much fun. There is no fun to this season whatsoever. Usually that magic dust that you sprinkle on World Series teams, you kind of feel it, that mojo a little bit. There is none of that on this White Sox team right now, and maybe maybe Aloy can bring that aspect back if he can come back in a couple of weeks. Uh, let's hit the Let's hit the Chicago Cubs real quick. Get on the train, go north. Let's go to Addison. Um, I feel like it's almost like for Cubs uh, for Cubs people, I just want to like walk into a room and it's almost like a concerned parent with like a kid and just be like, "How you doing, buddy? Is everything okay? <laughs> are we doing all right? How are you digesting the Chicago Cubs season so far?"
1: Well, if you're the compare if you're the concerned parent walking in asking how everybody's doing i am ross from friends going i'm fine i'm fine, fine. Yeah, like yeah. i don't know why it's coming out <laughs> so loud and squeaky but i'm fine look i had low expectations for this team this year was not expecting much of anything now however i am driving the a suzuki fan bus by the way i am a i'm a big fan um, i want to order a jersey and i think his acquisition was good because you have a piece you can build around. I think that was big for Cubs fans after trading, you know, Rizzo, Bryant, Baez. I'm also big on Marcus Stroman. I think he's just falling into what he fell into in New York where he's not getting the run support because the offense is just not good. Look, I love Frank Schwindel for the memes, but he ain't it. I do like Christopher Morel. I think he's going to be a really good piece from a, an off the field, the energy standpoint. We talked about it with Aloy Jimenez, I think Christopher Morrell is good just from that morale standpoint. Well, morale, morale, but I think this lineup, it's just bad. And people want to blame David Ross. I talked to a bunch of Cubs fans just with where I live and they're like, Oh, David Ross needs to go. I'm like, okay, let me put this for what, what are we blaming him for? Let let me put it to you like this. You're playing cards. You get dealt a pair of twos. The other guy has got a pair of aces. He got dealt a pair of twos. He's got a bad lineup. And the only difference is you can't fold. You have to play right. the whole hand. Right. Yeah, it's not he, – he got dealt a crap hand, and this is what he's dealt with as a first-time manager. And remember, he had the pandemic in his first year. Last year, they traded everybody on him. And this year, he's just got a bad lineup, and that's okay. It happens in baseball. The farm system seems like it's starting to get rebuilt slowly. Slowly but surely. I know there's talk of – Cubs are going to be sellers again at the deadline. I'm not sure how I feel about that, given the money they spent this offseason on Stroman and Suzuki, but that's a conversation we need to have. And I'd say two, three weeks, once we get into the middle of June, start finding out, okay, where are the other teams going to be? What's the competitive window going to be with the new front office regime with Hoyer at the top Hawkins underneath, which I forgot Carter Hawkins was even there until he went to the Iowa Cubs game last week. And Tommy Birch wrote a story on it. Totally forgot that happened because of the lockout, but There's a lot of unknowns with where the team is going long-term with Theo Epstein there. You knew, okay, here's the window and they drafted Chris Bryant and they got these guys. Here's the window with Jed Hoyer. What's the window? Where are they at right now? They're in what I call a purgatory right now. I don't know which direction they can go just because of the money they spent this off season. But look at the roster. It's bad. There are guys I've never heard of that are pitching. Like I'm I'm a pretty big Cubs fan. How have I never heard of these guys? So it's a weird spot to be in right now. And I don't blame David Ross at all. I really don't. I think you've got some pieces to work toward the future. That's good. Now just stay the course and don't suck too bad.
0: (laughs) Well, in terms of David Ross, yeah, I don't really understand that. I don't know how to read exactly his body of work because one in 2020, they did make the playoffs and they just didn't hit in the, in the the round against the Marlins. I mean, we've seen Mm -hmm. that from Cubs teams before, and, and I understand that we have this expectation now, but making the playoffs is really good in baseball. I wish Cubs yes. fans would really understand that. And making that on the regular, you just want to get into the dance and give yourself a shot. So making it, you deserve credit for that. Last year, obviously, you know, we were, the Cubs were in first place. They got off to a great start, and then what they win, they lost eight or nine games in a row, and it all fell apart, and they started trading mm-hmm. guys. And I think that had a lot more to do with off-the-field stuff not in terms of people were screwing up, but everyone knew that the contracts were up. Mm -hmm. They started losing games. And then Jed made some comments about like, you know, if we're there, we're there. And if we're at a different place, I'm going to trade some dudes. And that, I mean, I think they're all human beings. I think that sort of happened to that Cubs club last year and this year. Yeah. He got, I don't know. Did he get a pair of twos or he got a two and like an information card? I I think it's like a a joker. I'm sorry. A joker. A (laughs) joker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I'm right there with you where I think, I don't. I don't. I can't see that the Cubs are at, at a window right now. I think Jed Hoyer is at the windowsill with his hands on the pane of glass, looking out the window and seeing what the weather is before he throws that window up in the air. Um, I'm just, yeah. I'm just really curious. I mean, when you say sell, uh, yeah, I, I'm not on board with them trading Wilson Contreras. No. Um. I. I do not think that that is a great move. It's one of those things where it's an old adage of. And and not to kind of dip back to the White Sox a little bit, but, you know, when the White Sox traded Chris Sale, they did it because they had to, right? They got Yoan Mankata and Michael Kopek. And look, I'm not complaining about those players, and I think Michael Kopeck is going to be a great pitcher. But you know what the White Sox don't have right now, and they probably wish that they did last, last year against the Astros? They don't have a Chris Sale. They just don't, right? They, I mean, Chris Sale pitching game one against the Astros, they probably wish that they had that, and they don't have that now. So with the Wilson Contreras conversation to me, And I want you to weigh in on whether they should extend him or not, is that if you trade away a Wilson Contreras, a two-time all-star catcher, a guy who can go behind the plate in a league where where there just aren't a lot of all-star catchers and a guy that can play behind the plate well defensively and hit the ball too as well, you are always going to be looking for the next Wilson Contreras.
1: Now, I will start this conversation by saying I'm a Jason Hayward truther. I just am. I love defense. That's what I talked about when we started the White Sox conversation. A big defensive guy. He's got all the gold gloves. But you don't win that World Series in 2016 without Jason Hayward's leadership. With him giving that speech, etc., we know the, oh, make the movie about the speech. Well, I understand that part of it. Look at what happened the other night. Christopher Morrell is at the plate. Young player, first season in the big league. He's only been in the league a couple weeks. He turns around, and there's video of Contreras pointing at Morrell and going... Morrell takes a deep breath, hits the walk-off sacrifice fly. Mm -hmm. If we can talk about Jason Hayward's leadership as a reason for the obscene contract, and I have, just admittedly, I'm a Jason Hayward truther. We need to talk about paying Wilson Contreras for the leadership aspect. Oh, and also Contreras is actually getting it done on the field at the plate when Hayward isn't. So I think Contreras absolutely needs to be extended. I think he's one of those pieces that I keep saying you build around. You have Seiya Suzuki who you signed. You have Marcus Stroman you signed. If you can keep Contreras around, guess what? You sign Strowman to the big contract. If you can keep Contreras around, there's a good battery that you can have. That's essential when you're building a roster. Now, I'm also a big Nick Madrigal fan. Just, I love that trade that the Cubs got Nick Madrigal for getting rid of Craig Kimbrell. Sorry to Sox fans, but I loved it. And Cody Hoyer Nick next Madrigal. year. Let's be real. Yeah, Cody, Cody Hoyer going to be good for them next year. Yeah. Right. So you've got, you've got pieces on this team. You've just got to add more because the rest of them are so bad. It offsets the good, and I think sometimes even a guy like Madrigal, Nicky Two Strikes, struggling a little bit. Now, I know he's on the injured list right now. He's coming back. But Wilson Contreras, to me, is the biggest domino to determine, okay, do we want to win sooner than later, or do we want to kick the can down the road and just rebuild the farm system? I think you keep Contreras because he's helping these younger guys. Christopher Morrell is a fantastic example, and you've got Brendan Davis. I know he's out for the season in the minor leagues. He's coming up through the system, too. Wilson Contreras can be a good leader for him as well. So you have to think about it from that standpoint too. And I think it helps that Jed has a general manager under him this year. Last year it was just Jed because of the Ricketts family. I mean, this is just me putting my tinfoil hat on. I don't think they wanted to pay for another general manager. So now he's got somebody underneath him. So I think that's going to help too because you have someone who came in from the outside, can see the whole board like in chess and go, okay, if we do this, what happens here? Instead of just saying, okay, we're going to do this and see what happens. No, if we – if we extend Wilson Contreras, what do we do here? If we trade Wilson Contreras, what do we do there? It's the multiverse of madness, as I like to call it with these situations. Yeah,
0: and unfortunately, I think Contreras, too, I don't know if I would exactly give him $100 million, but he probably deserves oh, no. somewhere close to that, like 70 or 80. It's probably the number that I'm kind of like looking at I don't know a about paying
1: catchers $100 million in general just because of the wear and tear on the bodies and everything, but I think he deserves some big extension because he won a World Series with this team, and he's proven – with the absence of rizzo and Baez and all of those guys he has stepped up he stepped up in those moments at the end of last year even and into this year it's wilson Contreras' team
0: yeah and, I, and look i i mean, he's he's done well with his contract honestly but I, I don't really think we're going around saying like jt real muto is making this huge difference for the philadelphia Phillies right now i just don't really see that happening and so my final question on the cubs and you alluded to it a little bit, so this might be uh, – I might be leading you right into your answer here. But I am starting to see some interesting developments there where I think, you know, when you guys, like you mentioned a guy like Nick Magical. You mentioned – you know, we can mention a Nico Horner. We can mention a Chris Morrell. I think Ian Haps played pretty solid this year. You got Suzuki. You got Contreras. You know, I think Contreras and Suzuki can be guys that can probably hit in the middle of your order. All the other guys I just kind of mentioned are all these supplemental side players, these role guys that you need, you know, at the top and the bottom of your lineups to, you know, kind of roll the thing over and keep the chains moving a little bit. And I'm seeing some developments from the pitching side, too, as well. I mean, Justin Steele's been up and down all year, but he's young, man. You know, he's got to get his head beat in for a little bit. You know, look at Lucas Giolito's 5.63 ERA the first year. Worst year.
1: pitcher in baseball. Yeah, yeah. The, the commercial, commercial says you know, three times, times a less game. Um,
0: And, you know, I, I really enjoy what I've been seeing from Keegan Thompson. And they got some bullpen pieces like Efros and Ethan Roberts. We'll see. And then this, if this Caleb Killian comes up, who they got in the Chris Bryant trade, all of a sudden you got this homegrown pitching and you maybe are looking at an opportunity to maybe contend sooner than maybe Cubs fans were thinking that the, the Cubs ownership was going to wait for. So my question for you is, are the Cubs going to spend money? If all these kids continue to ascend a little bit, because I'm not buying this whole let's wait on the kids. You mentioned Brendan Davis. We all know about Ed Howard and all the other guys from the U Darvish trade are 19 and 20 years old. So guess what? That's 2026 Cubs fans. Like we got to do something now in the near future future to win and be competitive. Do you think the Cubs will spend money next year?
1: I sure hope so. I'm just tired of them sitting on their hands when the Ricketts family is out here crying poor and the marquee network and what's wrong with marquee network. It's going to bring out a lot of money for us. How about that Fair. sports book? Exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, they spent money on Marcus Stroman. They spent money on say Suzuki. They're proving they're willing to do it now. I don't know what changed after you let Rizzo and Brian Baez walk, but I think they should. I think the biggest need, and again, I say it again. I love the memes with Frank Schwindel. You need a first baseman. If you can get a first baseman, go get a first baseman. I don't have a name for you right now. It's June second. I haven't thought about the future yet. I haven't thought about the trade deadline yet because it's still what two months away now. Because they keep they keep moving it. It was on my birthday, and now it's not on my birthday anymore. So I lose track of where it was. So you're about two months away from the trade deadline, give or take. You've got a lot of there's a lot to figure out yet, but I think you need a first baseman. Patrick Wisdom, I'm not sure, is the long-term answer. I think he's good for now. He's kind of a fan favorite. Not the long-term answer right now at third base. I think you've got a good double play combination of Madrigal and Horner. It reminds me very much of, like, Terrio and Fontenot on steroids. There are two names Mm -hmm. from the past for you. Like, I think that's good. There are still pieces you can add. And, again, with the young guys coming up, they can fill those spots. But, like you said, you want to do this now. Now, I'm not saying trade Brennan Davis and go get a big name. I'm saying – Maybe go in, some, go in free agency, not like the biggest fish, but like a big fish at first base or third base. Go from there. You can start putting this team together and it can come together pretty quick, in my opinion, because you have some pieces that are there.
0: No, I, I don't think we trade anybody. We don't trade anyone from the farm system. I think we use what we call cold hard cash.
1: And it's just going to be a matter exactly. of whether assuming the they Cubs have
0: stuff, it. What, assume, assuming they have it, right? Because let's be honest. This started before the pandemic. A lot of you know, Cubs fans are like, well, after that, he didn't want to spend. This started happening after 2019. So, Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, this has been something that's been going on for four years, and, and that's a conversation for another time of why I think they kind of hedged their bets after they won the World Series and started dipping money into the neighborhood. Uh, let's talk some basketball real quick. Uh, I do want to wrap up with some NBA Finals talk. I want to get your pick on what you think with the NBA Finals. Let's start with the Chicago Bulls right now. Uh, let's hit the hot topic, my man. Um, And let's keep it very simple Uh, as it stands today. Do you think Zach Levine should get the max contract from the Chicago Bulls? And do you think Zach Levine will get the max contract from the Chicago Bulls?
1: Well, I'm going to start by saying he will, like, I think he will just, I think they have to, but whether he should, I talked about this a couple weeks ago on my pod. And it's a big question that I've been thinking about because yes, the numbers are there. And I know David Kaplan said on the radio, was it yesterday? that people don't think he has the quote unquote dog mentality to deserve a max extension. Now I don't think that should determine a max extension, but there are things during the game talking to the referees. Every time he goes up for a layup, you hear him yell something. It seems like, right. And there was one time in the playoffs that it was, it was actually Vucevic, but I've seen Levine do this too, where Caruso pointed at Vucevic because he missed a shot and he threw his arms up and you see Caruso back there going, run, get back. I can't count how many times I'm sitting at my TV going, Zach, quit whining, get back on defense. And the defense has been questionable ever since he got there. You've also got a factor in the knee. You know, he just had that procedure on his knee. It was minor. He still had to have a procedure on his knee. He was playing on one wheel for most of the year. But he also played through the injury with his thumb. So it's a double-edged sword. It's a matter of do Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley think they can get the most out of Zach Levine with the injury history and everything going on, do you think he deserves the max? I see arguments for or against it, but ultimately I think he will get the max from the bulls. Cause I think that's going to be the starting point of the off season. I keep trying to think, okay, do they go get a Deandre Ayton Maybe if he wants out of Phoenix, do they go get like another tougher guy? And I've got a, the name I keep throwing around in the draft is Walker Kessler. Is that defensive presence down low? He's from Auburn. Maybe he can go that route, but either way, the biggest move of the off season is what happens with Zach Veen. Because if Zach walks, you've got a huge hole you've got to fill. Now, the other option with the max extension, do you give your max to the number two guy on the team? Because I think it's safe to say DeMar DeRozan was the number one option last year scoring-wise. All NBA for a reason. Zach was not all NBA. That's the other question, whether he should get the max. There's a lot of factors that go into this, and it's such a big question mark. But I feel like the Bulls almost have to do it, or I think they will do it, just because they – had his input, putting this roster together.
0: The knee issue clouds, everything, right? This would probably be a lot easier if it wasn't a knee,
1: a knee and a back worry me, the fact that there's a Mm -hmm. knee issue and he doesn't like, he, I'm not saying he has a back issue. I'm saying knee issues and back issues worry me in sports They're just backs creep me out for some reason, whenever anything happens, but knee issues, especially after a torn ACL, I've got questions.
0: Well, and, and and we saw it, too, as well. And we just have to keep in mind that, yeah, he was banged up in that Bucks series and towards the end of the season. And when he was driving to the hoop, I'm with you, man. He was banking on the refs to back, bail him out because I don't think he felt strong finishing at the hole with the knee that the way that it was. And he depends on that part of his game, you know what I mean, to be effective. And I guess the problem for me is, and I guess what makes it also another like kind of a tenuous situation, is you were kind of hoping that Zach Levine was going to be a little bit more fully formed by the time he got to the max contract situation. I thought at times, he made a lot of really great strides early on in the year, even with the banged up thumb. For me personally, Nick, and, and I want you to comment on this, I just think it's his decision making. You know, when you get in that fourth quarter, he pulls up and shoots that random three. Um, he doesn't really take that moment where he, like, the, the best part about DeMar DeRozan, and, and I think we might've talked about this when he came on before the season started, is that DeMar DeRozan is so good, at stopping the bleeding right like you're scuffling a little bit the other team scores a couple points now all of a sudden man he just goes he's like i'm gonna get you a bucket it's time to get a bucket it's time to quiet the the home crowd when we're playing on the road and it's time to keep us in this game and that's just something that i think zach levine kind of lacks a little bit of like understanding and taking the pulse of what the team needs in that particular moment you know do we need Zach Levine, the scorer? Do we need Zach Levine, the playmaker, the facilitator? We definitely don't need Zach Levine, the complainer, you know, after calls and trying to get calls and not running back on defense, as you so mentioned. And I think that's probably my biggest hesitancy outside of the knee is that will Zach Levine be the guy? And we're going to talk about the NBA Finals. We're going to talk about Jason Tatum. This is something Jason Tatum had to go through. Is Zach Levine going to be the guy when it's 98 to 97? With two and a half minutes to go in a fourth quarter of a game five of a playoff series, is he going to be making the right decisions? And that's probably the thing that I have the biggest questions about his game still. And he could be, and he's up for a max contract.
1: It goes back to my point in the fourth quarter. If I had to give you a choice, you're giving the ball to DeMar DeRozan, you're giving the ball to Zach Levine with two minutes left in the game. And you're down one point.
0: It should be Zach though. You know what it I'm should saying? should be. I agree with you, it's DeMar, but Zach, in my opinion, has more athleticism, can be the playmaker, can draw the defense, can kick out for threes, can shoot the jumper, can shoot the three,
1: can drive the ball to the hole, but it's not him. It's DeMar DeRozan. Right, and that's where the question is, do you want to pay this guy a lot of money? It's 200-some million dollars. Do you want to pay him that much money if he's your number two option in the fourth quarter? Now, Jason Tatum proved it. The other thing you have to ask from a front office standpoint, do you want a guy to have to prove it on a max? Or do you want to prove it to get the max? That's a, We're talking a lot of money here, a lot of cap space. That's the biggest question. And I forgot one other point about whether he will get the max. He's rep by Clutch Sports now and Rich Paul. All these rumors you hear, oh, hey, let's talk about Zach Levine to the Blazers and the Lakers. Get that leverage going. That's the other factor that's into this as well. So the way I'm talking about it, you'd think I was trying to talk myself out of getting in the max. But there are reasons for it because he puts up the numbers. He's good on offense. He's got to work on defense. And we go back to the decision-making that you talked about. That's all got to come together too. And I think he should get an extension from the Bulls. I think he absolutely should, whether it's the max. I'm just not sure, given the fact that Jason Tatum proved it. Like we keep talking about Jason Tatum and the Celtics. We know that he's turned into the conference finals MVP, putting up the big numbers. He's a big piece to watch in these finals. Do you want Zach to have to prove it on a max? That's just a big gamble. The front office, if they want to take it, if they think they can take it and get away with it, I'm all for it.
0: Yeah. I'm not going to be upset, but I think we're both illustrating the same thing is that Zach is still an unfinished product. And we're about to sign him up for 40 plus million dollars a year. Um, This is not a sure
1: thing that it was a few months ago. Casey Johnson has said this too. This seemed like a sure thing a year ago. I don't think it's a sure thing right now, just because we saw what DeMar DeRozan can do as your number one option in this lineup. Now, DeMar's got a lot more experience under his belt. Zach's still a young player, but that's just, it's what have you done for me lately? That's the way it is. Let's play a quick
0: lightning round game, because in my opinion, I think the least likely scenario is the Chicago bulls. Just let Zach Levine walk out the door, which I know. I don't think they'll just let him and and blog. People are trying to write about that. And it's like, look, uh, I hate to break it to you guys, uh, that's not happening. So let's play a quick uh, lightning round here. Uh, you can respond yes or no if you want to add a little bit more. We'll try and keep it brief because I want to rip through all these. So if Zach Levine does a sign and trade, uh, I want you to react to these possible sign and trade scenarios. Let's start with the one that's probably the least likely and the one that I like the least. Uh, Zach Levine for Kyrie Irving. The, awesome. th- <laughs> the silence, I think, is no. Uh, Zach, Levine, Zach Levine for Bradley Beal.
1: Eh, I like Bradley Beal, but uh, I don't know if he... Zach Levine for Bradley Beal. Eh.
0: Yeah, I'm a no. I'm a hard I'm a hardcore no on that one, too, as well. Uh, Zach Levine for Anthony Davis. No, Zach Levine for LeBron James.
1: You want me to yeah. say yes, I should say yes, but no,
0: you'd have to think about it. Right. You would at <laughs> least like weigh about you would sleep on it. Right. Uh, the yeah. one that I like the most and the one that I don't understand why anyone's not talking about is Zach Levine for Damian Lillard.
1: Ooh, interesting. I never thought about that one. And is it gonna I be mean, expensive
0: look, though? It is gonna be expensive. He's got two years left on his deal. It's gonna be I think forty-five, forty-eight million dollars a year. Let's keep in mind Damian Lillard is only thirty-two years old. He's coming off abdominal he's coming off an abdominal injury, which look, he got that covered a long time ago. So the recovery is right. gonna be done. I think he's got a couple years left in the tank. I actually think he's an upgrade over Zach Levine. I think he's a dude. If we want to play the DeMar DeRozan, who has the ball situation in the moment and who can go toe-to-toe with Steph Curry, Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic, because he doesn't give a flying rip about who he goes up against. It's Damian Lillard. And if you're the Blazers, where are you going? You're going nowhere. Damian Lillard isn't getting younger. And you're telling me you can get a max player like Zach Levine who can dunk and score 34 points while your team loses by 10 in Portland. I mean, this feels like a slam dunk win-win. I don't understand why no one's really talking about it. I mean, the Damian Lillard leaving Portland rumors already started a year ago. This is probably the path that I honestly would consider because now Damian Lillard, the only one I Yeah. Damian Lillard, 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 Lonzo ball, um, DeMar DeRozan, Patrick Williams, Nikola Vucevic with IO and Caruso coming off the bench. Look, I'm not saying you're getting it sounds that like much a pipe better. dream. Now, you're not getting better defensively, but you're damn sure you're getting better offensively. And I'm not say that. saying
1: that is a pipe dream. Let me be perfectly clear. It just sounds like something two years ago where we're talking about this. We're going wait, that'll that'll never happen. Now we're talking about huh? That could actually be a possibility. Yeah, It's just only, amazing how things have thing changed about in it, the last two years.
0: I know, I know. Isn't that crazy? The only thing about it is that I believe the money, the allocated money, we'd probably have to like fit like – we'd have to find room for like 7 or $8 because we're going to renounce Derek Jones, I would guess. And that's $10 million yeah. off the board right there. You'd probably have to move Kobe White, who's making $7 million, that's to, fine. Fit, to fit Lillard's contract because you already have that money slotted in for Zach Levine anyways. I mean there's a world where it happens. And I think if the Bulls make a sign and trade, I think that's the only plausible one that makes sense and actually makes the Bulls better. And if and let's just say if Damian Lillard was on the Bulls instead of Zach Levine, what are you saying? Top three in the East, like truly, probably.
1: I'd probably say e- that. The problem Eastern is Eastern Conference si- Finals. Second round. Problem is yeah. you, you've got to keep up. You've got to get size to keep up with the Embeds, the Giannis,es the Tatum's, the Bam bios well, There, you you need to get bigger. Well, Nick,
0: talk to me about this NBA draft, man. I mean, you know it better than anyone else. You were on this pod last year singing the praises of Io DeSumo. And if he drops to the Bulls, they should absolutely snatch him up. They did. Dude goes out, makes an all-rookie team. All-rookie second team? Second team. All-rookie second team. So is there a guy, Nick, in the draft, a big guy who can maybe bang some bodies and I don't know, be a difference maker, but we need people to get in the way of Janis. We need people to get in the way of Joel Embiid. We're not stopping them. We need more guys to get in the way. Are is there anyone out there the Bulls could target at 18?
1: Well, let me say with the Iota Sumu call a blind squirrel finds an acorn now and again. I'm just oh, going to say stop I got it. lucky on it. No. But,
0: but you had I'm your eyes again, fixed.
1: <laughs> if I if I can do it again this year, I I I have been locked in on Walker Kessler from Auburn. There were okay. two guys that had triple doubles with points, rebounds and blocks this year. It was Walker Kessler and Walker Kessler. Guy was a national defensive player of the year for a reason. I think he blocked like six shots a game for Auburn. It was insane. And the, the way he blocked him, he'd be at the free throw line. The guy would be at the at the, at the the block down low, and he'd come over and just swat it away. It was awesome to watch. So he'd be my guy because, yes, he's seven feet. Maybe, I don't know if you want to throw Vucic at the four. I'm not saying he's a starting caliber. What I'm saying is you can start Vucic at the five. Then you can bring Walker Kessler off the bench, Boom, there's your defensive lineup because you'll have Caruso, you'll have Dasumu on that defensive lineup. And I think if you can platoon even Ball and Caruso out there, you could feasibly have Ball, Caruso, Dasumu, Williams, and Kessler on the court. That is a fantastic defensive lineup in my opinion. He's my top guy. But if you want a guy who can pair with Vucevic, EJ Liddell from Ohio State is really interesting. He's my breakdown on this week's show. Talked a lot about what he brings, all Big Ten defensive team, Average like three blocks a game. He's a tough defender. Played for Chris Holtman at Ohio State. What do you want? He's really good. He's not as high in the draft as Malachi Branham, who was a freshman this year, but they're very different players. EJ Liddell is 6'7". He plays bigger than he is, and I think he can be very versatile defensively. Tari Easton is another name from LSU. He's one that I think he'd be good. He'd be a good fit. All three of these guys would be good fits, but to me, I'd take either EJ Liddell or Walker Kessler at 18, just because they need size and defense. I think one of those two guys, I mean, you can't get both of them. So it's going to be one of those two can fit in well in different ways. And I think Liddell can pair with Vucevic. If you want a rim protector. protectors, so you can kick Vucevic outside. Oh, by the way, EJ Liddell shot 37% from three-point territory this year. He can also shoot. There's a lot. I think Liddell might even be the more versatile between him and Kessler. But if you want defense and you want a toughness down low and a rim protector, it's Walker Kessler, absolutely.
0: And you can check that out in the next episode of Believe in Bulls with Nick Schultz at Believe dot com for all that great draft breakdown. So my follow up to that would be: you named all these guys. Are all these guys, in your opinion, through the mock drafts right now? Are, are do you feel confident that all these guys are going to be available for yes. the Chicago Bulls to select at eighteen? And on top of that, too, as well, are is there a is there a sharpshooter in that mix too, as well, that maybe sway the Bulls to perhaps go that direction because? I think what we're talking about this offseason is we got to make the Zach Levine decision clearly. But then on top of that is we need we need more size. We need more interior toughness. uh, We need more rim protection. I mean, Vucevic is a good rebounder. uh, But the question is, uh, he allows the ball to get in the air maybe a little bit too easily. Right. So it's either going in or it's going out. And then I think the other problem, too, as well, is. You know, when we have DeMar DeRozan working at the elbows here with these jump shots, he really has no one to kick it to to bang down a three. I think Vucevic shoots better from three-point range next year. Mm-hmm. If Lonzo Ball stays healthy, that helps out in that category. But we do need the – I'm sorry, I'm going to use a Miami Heat thing, but we need a Duncan Robinson, Max Struz, Tyler Hero collection of guys that we can kick to and hit some threes. Is there anyone in this draft that maybe will tempt the Bulls at 18?
1: See, I haven't really looked into the recent mock drafts. With the, the withdrawal deadline for college eligibility was yesterday at midnight Eastern. So there were some guys that withdrew that I didn't expect. There were some guys that stayed in I didn't expect. Maybe Trevor Keels from Duke could be an option. Good shooter. I mean, he played at Duke. There are three, four, five guys from Duke that could be first-round picks this year. That's how talented that roster was. Now, you're not going to get Paulo Boncaro. It's not going to happen. He's going to be a top-three pick. You're probably not going to get Mark Williams, who was ACC Defensive Player of the Year, he's probably going in the lottery. Mm -hmm. Maybe A.J. Griffin could be down there. I think one of those two guys from Duke, but Trevor Keels is a really intriguing prospect because he's young. He's very young, but he's shown he can shoot, he can pass. He was Duke's leading assists. He he led the team in assists. I think he led in three-point percentage. I'm not sure on that one, but he shot well. So maybe he could be an option, but it, it does go back to the Zach Levine conversation. But the big ripple with that, Free agency starts after the draft. So right now, as I sit here right now, I think Zach Levine is coming back to the Bulls. I think you've got to go for size, and that's why the fact that EJ Liddell can shoot and play defense, maybe he's the better pick at 18 than Walker Kessler. But I do believe all three guys I mentioned, Tari Eason, EJ Liddell, Walker Kessler, they are all going to be available at that point. I think Liddell and Kessler were projected to be like in the 20s in ESPN's last mock And Tari Eason was to the Bulls at 18. That was from ESPN, I think, yesterday. So that's where I would go. But if you want a sharpshooter, maybe a guy like Trevor Keels. That's just the name that jumps out to me right now. I haven't done a full dive on who's staying in the draft and who withdrew, surprisingly.
0: Final one for belief in Bulls host Nick Schultz here on Bet on Chicago. Uh, The NBA Finals, they start tonight. By the time this episode is out, the ball will be up in the air for the NBA Finals. Celtics Warriors. Uh, just give us a quick little preview of uh, who you like in the series, how many games it's going to go, and why are you picking said team?
1: Well, I think you've got some really good matchups. I think you've got Jason Tatum and Draymond Green. You've also got Marcus Smart and Steph Curry. Those are going to be the two I'm watching really close. I'm taking the Warriors in six, to be honest with you. That's what I said on my show this week. And I think the fact that the Warriors have the experience factor on their side, you've still got Curry, Thompson, Green, and Jordan Poole's playing out of his mind, but again, you're at a different stage in the NBA Finals. But you've got the experience there with the three guys I mentioned that were there for the championship runs. I think that experience is going to outweigh Boston's because you saw what the Celtics did in game seven against the Heat. They kind of, I don't want to say they let off the gas, but Miami started getting back into it late before Boston was able to hold them off. That's the inexperience factor sitting in. So I'm taking Golden State in six, but I think this is going to be really entertaining because you've got some really good matchups that are going to be really exciting to watch.
0: I I got the Warriors in seven. I think it's the Warriors series to lose, in my personal opinion. Um, The Celtics, they are a roller coaster ride, if I've ever seen it. So betting on them is a really hard proposition, just to begin with. They're great defensively, Boston is, but I just think that the Warriors – Obviously, you've got Draymond Green, who's just incredibly smart with the ball in his hands, distributing the basketball. I think their ball movement is going to really kind of help them out a little bit, swinging the ball around, maybe tire some of these Boston Celtics defenders out who think that they're going to lock down this Warriors team. If you're chasing a dude like a Jordan Poole around long enough, maybe that does kind of wear on you a little bit. My only question, and this is just something small, but this is the NBA Finals, Nick, and I'm curious what you think about this is, I am looking at this Golden State Warriors team and I am asking myself one question of is Steph Curry playing at a particular level right now, like Clay's playing great. Don't get me wrong. But is Steph Curry playing at a particular level where I know that the Celtics have when the chips are down, they have Jason Tatum in isolation situations. One on one half court offense isn't working. He can bail them out at any single moment. My question is with the Warriors, if the Celtics do stifle them defensively at times, who is that guy in that isolation moment in that critical third and fourth quarter, you know, the one that we just had about Zach Levine, who is taking that shot for the Warriors right now? We can easily say it's Steph, but you know, it's not as easy as that Steph can't necessarily create his shot as uh, smoothly and fluidly as some of the other big stars in the league. And I think Tatum maybe have the advantage there. And in a close game, I am curious to see how that plays out.
1: I think you still got to go with Steph, to be honest with you. I mean, I know he's not necessarily playing at his highest level, but this is the finals. He's been there before. He knows what it takes to win on this stage. Yeah, Marcus Smart's going to be on him, the Defensive Player of the Year. There's a reason he was Defensive Player of the Year. I still think Steph's going to be the guy just because he's been there before. He knows these moments. He knows he can settle the nerves and still hit the big shot if he needs to. And there's they're going to draw up plays to try and switch him out to get smart off of him. And I think if he can do that, I mean, I think you still got to ride with Steph. But Clay's playing at a good level right now too. Kick it out to Clay and have him shoot a three. That's why I say Warriors in six game six. Clay's going to have a day. That's just how I think it's going to go. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you got to ride or die with Steph just because you know what he can do. It's in there. He can break out of it. This is the perfect stage for him to break out of it because he's been here before he's won it before i think there's a lot going in his favor to get back to the level of play that he's used to
0: nick just be honest with me you want to see auto porter get a ring right that's just what this is is that what you're doing you just want I was going to gonna try, and say with, I
1: was gonna try and say it with a straight face. I can't do it. <laughs> I was going to try. I really did. I'm sitting here. I'm like, don't do it. Don't smile. I cracked a smile. I can't say it with a straight face.
0: NBA champion, Otto Porter. He's the future of the
1: Bulls, Nick. We're Somewhere, giving... our foreman is smiling.
0: <laughs> oh, man. That's going to do it on today's episode of Bet on Chicago. Um, Nick, man, so great to see you. We're going to bring you back again in the summer. We're 1,000% going to bring you back before the NBA draft. And we're going to talk about that in any other Bulls news and notes that pop up. Uh, We'd love to have you, man. You got to check out Believe in Bulls on the Believe.com network. Uh, great podcast, great insight that you just heard from Nick here. Hey, man, toss out your socials real quick so the audience can check out all of your great t- content. And uh, great to see you, man, and thanks for coming back on.
1: Yeah, hey, Joey, thanks for having me. This It's been way too long. This was a blast. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Schultz underscore seven. Uh, that's where I do all my podcast promotion and I do a lot of college football and basketball coverage with on three it's college recruiting site but we do a lot of college football and basketball news that's how I know so much about the draft because I've watched a lot of college basketball this year so we're going to be full go on draft coverage later this month it's going to be a blast but Nick Schultz underscore seven is where you can send the, the I love the podcast I hate the podcast you're an idiot whatever you want to send send it there I read all replies I promise
0: Thanks so much for coming back on, my friend. Today's episode of Bet on Chicago with Joy Christopoulos was presented by BetOnline.he. You get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use promo code BLEAV. And also, your baseball summer apparel. I've got you covered. Head to Baseball Lifestyle 101's website, bl101.com. Use the promo code Joey Guy and get 10% off any purchase there to get some amazing baseball threads for this summer. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We're going to be back next week. We've got some great guests lined up, so make sure you guys come on back. Until then, be well, be safe, please be good to each other, and remember when in doubt, always bet on Chicago. Thank you for listening to Believe.